Welcome to the Recycle Podcast, where we discuss everyday issues from a mental health perspective. We are your hosts, Dr. LaFanya Jones, Dr. Rashonda Strickland, and Dr. Nichelle Wall. Now don't get it twisted. We're not going to be your stereotypical therapists. What we will be is down to earth, informative, a little spicy, and vulnerable. All right, interns, turn up the volume, grab your pen and paper. It's supervision time. As a reminder, this podcast is not meant to take the place of a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to session 11, The Tie That Binds. Okay, interns. This week, we're going to be addressing the family members of addicts, which is, y'all, I, I have to tell y'all, this is a difficult subject because mm-hmm. many family members are in denial about how this addic- the addiction is affecting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was working at a particular rehab, I was um, the family therapist there. And it would be, I would be so amazed at how many times I would have to make these phone calls to have the family member to participate. And they would say, well, I don't think I have a problem. I don't have to, I don't need to come really. Hmm. But then they would start talking and you could hear the anger. You could hear the hurt. You could hear Mm -hmm. the pain and they would start crying. Yeah. And I'm like, are you crying? My thing is, even if you don't, if you don't have a problem, how are you going to be able to help your family member if you don't have the tools? Well, Mm -hmm. they don't feel like because it's not their disease, Mm -hmm. they don't have to work on it. Mm -hmm. But this disease is a family disease. Mm -hmm. And a lot of families don't realize that. I agree. And the reason this is a family disease is because of the psychological, physiological and emotional pain that the family members have to also go through Mm -hmm. with the addict. You may not, it may not be affecting you directly because you're not Mm -hmm. ingesting uh, a substance, but it is affecting you indirectly because you're having to watch it. It's a trauma. Yes. You know, this is kind of like a throwback to our PTSD, even though we were talking about work specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a throwback to that. The, there's a trauma that comes along with watching somebody that you love and have, you know, care for disintegrate before your eyes. Yeah. You know? And there's really, you know, there's not much that you on a physical level can do to change it. Yeah. Most families have primary and secondary trauma. Mm-hmm. because of this is you know there are going to be certain things that they experience um with addiction in the family but also through the lens of the the addict yeah and people who's ever prepared for that even us if we mm-hmm. had a new person in our family system all of a sudden start using we're not going to be prepared for that and we got whole degrees in this yeah, yeah. because it's a different level of intimacy when you're like I always say when you're doing life with people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it calls for a lot of confusion you know for the family member because a lot of times they have one stopped using their voice they've stopped Mm -hmm. addressing the concerns Mm 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I tell them to stop one, not to stop completely, but to stop while the addict is under the influence. Because what, what happens is when they try to address their concerns or whatnot, mm-hmm. while they're inebriated, they're not going to remember. Mm-mm. And so I tell them, you're going to be frustrated, irritated, and confused because you have memories that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about in Lines in the Sand. You set your boundaries for you. It's not about the other person. Yes, ma'am. And you carry them out. It's your job to maintain them. And if you're arguing, because that's normally what happens, if you're arguing with this person because you want them to do right, that's not you maintaining your boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At all. It's actually you getting more swept, swept up and in, into the problem. And it's hard. We're not going to say that it's easy. Um, like we talked about in the last session, we all have addicts recovering or not in our family system. So we, we definitely get it and have had firsthand experience with it. And mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the last session, we talked about the five alive and the addict working a program. Uh-huh. Well, the family members have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, now, a lot of times the family members feel left out, well, well, one, because they don't seek the help, but they also don't know that there's help out there. Mm-hmm. So the addict goes to rehab. They get 7, 14, 21, 28, 30 days of treatment, and then the family member may get a weekend. Yeah. And there's no way they can learn the tools that will help them to help themselves mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. future in just a weekend. Yeah. You know, or I, when I say weekend, I mean Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and maybe Monday. Yeah, most people don't know that there are programs out there that you can have weekly uh, sessions individually or group, whether you're teenage level or if you're a full-fledged adult. They typically don't do, like, young, young kids. That would have to be, like, a family session. But there are tons of programs out there because people in our industry know that this affects the family as a whole. And statistics have shown that when family members get involved, there's a better chance, not, you know, necessarily definitive, but a better chance for the addict to stay Mm -hmm. in recovery. Support system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have a support system and then you learn how to, and you know, I know this is kind of jumping and we kind of talked about it already, but you learn the difference between enabling Mm. and support. Can, yeah. you, can you just stop I right just thinking, there? I was thinking that same thing. Can we please break that down? Because I'd be irritated. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. Like, if any of my clients watch this and we talk about addiction on the inside, I'd be irritated. And it's not because um, I'm frustrated with you per se. It's because I I don't want you to have to suffer through this because mm-hmm. I know how devastating this is mm-hmm. to want what's best for somebody and they don't want it and then you are so optimistic and you're just broken hearted every day i was gonna say get let down yeah yeah it's hard not to want more for someone than they want for themselves yeah Mm -hmm. you know you we've talked before about seeing the potential in people Mm -hmm. or seeing the memories when you look at them Mm -hmm. you know I'm thinking about like parents when they look at their child that has addiction Mm -hmm. you know the baby that I 
held in my my arms and the the expectations that I had of who you were going to be when you grow up and then to see this is the life that you're leading you know that it's hard to not want more for them Mm -hmm. than you even want for yourself yeah well and the and the other thing with that the enabling and support people tend there's a thin line yeah. And people tend to family members tend to think that if I stop enabling you, you think that I don't love you. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is they gonna think that anyway. They gonna think it because anyway. they're not in their right state of mind. Literally, like mm-hmm. we talked about in the last session. And it's a manipulation tactic. And it's a manipulation tactic. It. Why would they want the person that does everything for them to go away? Right. Right. Like most of the time. In my experience, when you have an addict, they are highly dependent on you, even though they act like they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are providing everything for them. Yeah. You provide, in some ways, shelter. You provide transportation. You provide money. You provide access. You know, all kinds of things. Yeah. And I tell my, the extreme versions of the. <laughs> Of this, I tell them, you know, you're essentially their drug dealer because where are they getting their money from? That is a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That is a, because the thing is, you know, I, one of the things that I, I tease my family members about, even, you know, it can be a teaser or not because it depends on the person. Addicts are the most smart, smart. No, addicts are the most smart people I have ever met. Mm, smartest whatever (laughs) either way it can go either way (laughs) they they know how to get their substance with lint in their pocket oh yeah and that's why that's why it's so hard for for family members not to enable them and not to want to forgive them and you know things like that because they they have a great personality they are charismatic their demeanor is just awesome and you just Mm want to be around them but until they're high Mm-hmm. and it frustrates them because yeah. why can't you be this way all the time yeah why do you have to be this way or why do you have to do this and they don't understand why they keep using a substance even though it's causing friction in the dynamics of the house mm-hmm. and they want answers and the, and the truth let the truth be told they are receiving answers they are telling them oh I can stop whenever I want to Oh, you just don't understand why I keep using. Oh, girl, I ain't using that much. Girl, those are some of the best self lies I think I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It just makes you. I can table. stop whenever I want to. I mean, I've That's heard clients number, say that yes. I can stop whenever I want to. Yes. It's like, really? But you haven't yet, though. And you don't want to. Right. And that's the other excuse or, or another uh, excuse. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. N- no, you can't. Mm-hmm. And the thing is. Family members don't realize they keep asking that question of why don't you stop? And they're, they're actually receiving an answer. They They just don't like the one they want. Right. (laughs) I was getting ready to say that is the problem with the question. Why? Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with my clients, not necessarily on substance abuse, but just in a more kind of codependent kind of way. Um, we talk about the question why and how loaded of a question that is. And it's insatiable. So you ask them, well, why are you doing this? Or why are you treating me this way? Or why can't you do this? And then they give you an answer. And then here comes the next question. Mm -hmm. And then after they answer it, here comes the next question and the next question and the next question. And you just keep asking because you're not getting the answer that's in your head. Mm -hmm. Because really the only answer that they want is that I'm going to stop and they want them want to see them stop. Mm -hmm. 
ironically, and I know a lot of people who are family members of addicts are not going to want to hear this, but you don't accept them. Mm. That is the bottom line. You do not accept them. If you accepted them, you would handle them the way that they need to be handled. And that's on the good and the bad end of the spectrum. If this person is an addict, handle them as such. It doesn't mean that you love them any less, but it may mean um, I'm not going to leave my purse around you because you might take money in order to go, you know, fund your habit, your habit. Mm -hmm. Or it may mean I'm not going to have arguments with you because you're going to get enraged and then you're going to flip it and make it be about me when it's really about you. So you, you need to know the person you're dealing with. True. Most definitely. And the thing is, stop setting them up to lie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if Like, don't okay. ask. You already know they high. You already know they drunk. They just walked into a wall that's been there for all their life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And stop. <laughs> stop negotiating. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. if you do this like this, then I'll allow. No, 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 no. They're going to do what they want to do. No, I don't know. even know if that's negotiating. I think it's manipulation on both parts it is mm-hmm. they're bargaining you know, yeah the mm-hmm. I, the addict of course is ma- going to manipulate the family mm-hmm. but the family also man- tries yes. to manipulate the addict yep. well if you love me you'll stop when it has nothing to do with the love yeah mm-hmm. and it's their body yeah right and the thing is and i definitely again this is one of those moments where i wish i had a board for you all to see this visual because one of the things that i put on the board for my family members and my addicts actually to see is the behaviors of an addict and the behaviors of the non-addict y'all probably seen that on my Mm -hmm, board before mm -hmm. and on that board it has denial manipulation isolation dishonesty and guilt on both sides because the non-addict begins to mimic the behaviors Mm -hmm. of the addict to survive yeah yeah and manipulation is exactly what y'all just described. I'm yeah. sorry, Dr. No, 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 you're okay. At the end of the day, the addict is going to win. They're the stronger of the two. And, oh gosh. Which is so... It's so it sounds weird, but I it's know. But it's sad to say. It is. Be- and, and the reason... Let's explain why they're the stronger mm-hmm. one. Because, one, they know how to manipulate you. Because they know how to pull on your heartstrings to mm-hmm. make you do what they want. Mm-hmm. And you're so worried as the family member of losing them, of losing their love, of losing their life. Right. That you'll do it. You'll jump when they, yeah. you'll say how high when they say jump. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all on the addict is observant. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, they're some of the smartest people because they sit, they watch, they, you know, they're looking for every little face twitch or, you know that oh, i got you now mm-hmm. which I, was which i know is, how long to to badger you i know how long to stay <laughs> away from you mm-hmm. and and uh withdraw and neglect you and i yep. know how to how and when to start an argument with you so i can blame you for me to go out of the house and drink or use mm-hmm. that's why those boundaries got to be on point i remember a few years back i had a family member um deep in an in an addiction and y'all y'all know the person because we've talked about it but um I got a phone call from another family member telling me that all hell was breaking loose and everything was going on so I was like okay well let me just go and drive back home pop up because it was serious this person is passed out outside with somebody else Mm. paraphernalia everywhere the person that's not related to me wakes up 
and, st- and starts to try to charge me. Mm. And I was like, I need you to back up. <laughs> I have a weapon. I need you to back up. But you know, when somebody is in a mm-hmm. um, state of mind, yes, that no reasoning, that mm-hmm. addiction rage is on a whole other level to the point where I had to pull my weapon mm-hmm. um, against this person. And the other family member that had called me had to call the cops. Luckily, you know, that ended in success. Um, but the person who called me was the enabler. Hmm. nothing changed probably for a whole other year. They kept going back and forth. And I understand the love that you have for somebody because after that situation and I drove back home (laughs) (laughs) to where I live currently, like I cried the whole way. Like it's sad to see it. You don't, that's not something that you want to encounter or to see anybody that you love go through on either side, the addict or the enabler. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why I have to tell a lot of the enablers that you you won't be able to start hard Mm-mm. on setting your no, boundaries. No. So you can't like if you're if it's your spouse, you can't say, OK, well, I don't want to say you can't say you can say that if you want to. But if you know you <laughs> can't follow through with the boundary, then don't use I'm going to divorce you if you use again type of boundaries it it can be more subtle you might need to start with baby steps of Mm -hmm. like no drugs or alcohol in the home or around me or the children you know Mm -hmm. that might need to be your starting point because you're not saying you're divorcing them you're not saying you're separating you're just saying no drugs or alcohol around me and our children but people don't start setting boundaries until they've gotten to the ultimate boundary you know we had talked about ultimate limits before in a previous session you know, the family members get, they wait until they're exhausted. Not when the person first starts using and they learn about it. They wait. Oftentimes it's years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've just been browbeaten and, and, you know, just broken down to the point Mm -hmm. to where now I'm ready to start setting some limits and it becomes the ultimate limit. Right. And you got to set them boundaries early. If you really think about it in terms of like your health and what you can take, set the boundary early so that you can work through it instead of like fighting against the addict. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you'll be able to last longer because it's like, OK, I set this small boundary. Yep. I'm, I'm working through my emotional baggage and I'm I'm holding firm, even though I'm, I break down every time the person leaves. Mm-hmm. I, I can do this. Then you set a more firm boundary and you set a more firm boundary. And you, eventually you get to a point where either that person is going to have to make a change to remain in your life or you're going to have to remove them. Mm-hmm. And then at, by the time you get to that point, mm-hmm. you'll be ready. Yep. Yeah. You didn't just start there because I'm going to tell you, if you try to start there and you don't follow through, I promise you, you've lost. The addict got you now because they know that you're not going to you're not going to follow through. That's the see, that's the thing. The only thing they need to know is that you're not going to follow through with your boundary and they got you. Well, again, goes back to what we were saying a minute ago. They're observant. So they know exactly how far and how long they need to do whatever it is that they typically do before you reach your breaking point. Because sometimes I would I would even venture to say the the non addict doesn't even know what their breaking point is. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, until it's way deep off in, you know, they they just think that they're in their mind. They believe they're setting a boundary Mm -hmm. because we do a lot of verbal boundaries. 
We don't do a lot of <laughs> like enforcing boundaries. We mm-hmm. say a lot of, I don't like the way you're doing this or why do you do this or stop doing this or you can't do this. But then again, it's not enforced in any kind of way. So you have zero credibility. Yeah. So two things with that. One of, one of the reasons why it's difficult is because they don't realize that the addict depends on them more than what they think yep. because the addict has now manipulated them to think that they can't live without them, mm-hmm. that the family member can't live without the addict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is the family member, because they're, let's just use adults. Um, I don't want to do children and cause mm-hmm. that, that's a whole different thing, but you have two adults, a spouse, spousal, uh, relationship the one addict thinks i'm um, not one addict, the non-addict thinks that they don't have any leverage like well what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. what kind of boundary can i set he grown i'm grown. You're like what can i say hmm. so they don't you don't they don't know that they have leverage yeah it because they they're thinking the extreme mm-hmm. and well it goes back to when we talked about uh i can't remember the session but uh i believe it was lines in the sand boundaries yeah yeah Mm -hmm. uh where you are your own gatekeeper Mm -hmm. you know you control the access to you Mm -hmm. you know you are the person that gets to say what is and is not okay you know like you were saying a little bit earlier uh dr wall that you control all of that Mm -hmm. but you have to believe that you can control it it's one thing to know something in your mind it's another something to believe it Mm -hmm. in your mind yeah yeah and enforce it Yes. So I, if y'all don't mind, I'm going to just give a few boundaries yeah. uh, so mm-hmm. that they, you know, just in case someone listens. Well, we have a lot of people listening. <laughs> so one like of Like and subscribe. Right. <laughs> so one of them is like what I just said, no drugs or alcohol in the home or around me or our children. Another one could be no drug using friends or alcoholics in the home around me or our children. Mm-hmm. Another one could be, I will not pay, uh, uh I will not bail you out of jail mm, or pay for an attorney. We had Ooh. to do that in mm-hmm. my family. Yeah. Yep. They see. Oh, and I'm not coming to see you and I, mm-hmm. because I'd be too heartbroken. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a tough one. And then another one is I will not wake you up and leave home to pick you up from a bar. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's a, yeah, I wouldn't have thought about that Look one. Look at you out in your field. I know, because I was like, I wouldn't have thought about that one. Hi, Dr. Jones. Appreciate you. <laughs> and the reason why I like this, I will not wake up one or wake uh-huh. you up one is because a lot of, and I'm going to just say women, because women are usually the ones that are stay-at-home moms and wives. A lot of times women feel obligated to wake their husbands up to go to work because they're stay-at-home moms. And so what I have to tell a lot of my women who are spouses of an addict, you need to go get a job. You need to go either get uh, some sort of vocational training and get a job because mm-hmm. if you are continuing to rely rely on an addict for financial stability, you're going to stay anxious. And I, 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 I hope that doesn't sound crude or rude i'm just i'm giving you the reality of it but it makes sense even if he does stay in recovery for a year the thing is uh an addict can relapse in any moment and you don't want to put your stability 
well, I don't care if you, if you have children or not, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You don't want, want to put your stability in the hands of an addict. I just, I'm sorry. That just, you should just always be able to be independent at, you know, self-sufficient. not self-sufficient. It's not me saying that you don't need whoever your partner is. Cause that's not me at all. But it's to say that there's a difference between needing somebody and wanting somebody. Mm-hmm. What value are y'all adding to each other's life? And when you are in the throes of an addiction um, situation, it is very difficult to find any positivity in it. And mm-hmm. if you don't already have yourself together, that's another hurdle that you have to cross. And you feel stuck. Yep. And you feel like you can't set boundaries because you don't make the money. Yep. Right. So then you, you, you don't feel like you have any leverage. Mm-hmm. And so then y'all come and see me, but then what am I supposed to do other than teach you this? Right. You know, you know, and like you were saying, an addict can relapse at any moment. You know, I know someone that has been sober for 30 some odd years and she still, even today talks about how it's still a struggle and she's been sober. I think, probably almost as long as I've been alive. Wow. You know, but she talks about it's still a struggle for her today that, you know, she doesn't go out to bars. She doesn't, you know, she's gotten much better. Like if her husband's having a drink, being able to, okay, I don't need to have one, but in a social gathering Mm -hmm. where there's a whole bunch of people, you know, having alcohol, she tends to not, you know, um, attend those types of events. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say with, for family members, we talked about, um, them, the addicts work in a program, be okay with them working a program because a lot of times spouses become jealous of the fact that they have a sponsor because their sponsor is supposed to be same gender, but still, uh, they have a problem with them talking to their sponsors and going to meetings because they feel like they're left at the family members feels like they're left mm-hmm. out and not being included in, you know, what's going on with them. But the thing is what you want is an addict to be able to share with no filters, what is going on with them. And they can't necessarily do that with you because if they just say, for instance, they just get out of rehab. And they come and tell you that they're having thoughts or that they're they're having cravings. You're going to automatically go to, see, I knew this rehab wasn't going to work. You get ready to relapse. And they, they, that's too much pressure. And for the person who is wanting to stay in recovery and be healthy, that's one of the number one reasons why they relapse home life. Mm -hmm. That is one of the number one, because they went away and made changes, but the family unit didn't. Exactly. Mm -hmm which is another reason why family members need to get the help mm-hmm. for themselves. Yeah. Because if you don't, I used to do this demonstration in my uh, group <laughs> and the family members used to laugh cause they couldn't do nothing, but admit to themselves that that's what they do. So what happens is what I would use, what I used to do is I would have one of the addicts to stand up cause we had one of the groups that included the family members and the addict. Mm. I would have the addict stand up And I would have them walk around the room and I would follow them. And I would say, I would start berating them. Like, I thought you was going to a meeting. I thought it ended at seven o'clock. How come it's seven 15 and you just not getting home? How come, or how come it's eight o'clock and you just not getting home? Who who did you go drink coffee with? What did y'all talk about? Why you got to always talk to your sponsor? And you could see the face of the addict get 
so intense it with you know they could turn red they got tense you saw them getting mm-hmm. frustrated and they would turn around and be like dr jones like that's exactly how i feel and so the family members got to hear that if you're doing that that's causing stress i'm not saying that that's a reason for them to blame you mm-hmm. but it's causing stress yeah you know it, when you were saying like the family gets jealous you know, uh, because the addict is getting so much, but the services are meant to wrap around the addict. You know, everything, as far as mental health is concerned, everything is geared towards helping the identified person achieve their goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they get everything. They get the psychiatrist and they get, you know, like you said, the therapist and then they get the family therapy and then they get group and then they get aftercare services. It's all built to wrap around them. Yeah. Yeah. And that lack of wraparound for the family, of course, is going to leave them feeling abandoned and helpless and helpless. Yeah. Which is, again, why Dr. Wall said earlier, there's a lot of help out there for family members. But I'm going to say this, and I'm not meaning this in a negative way. Al-Anon is not the only source of help. Yeah. It is a source and please do attend because mm-hmm. you definitely need your mm-hmm. Al-Anon group just like they need their AA or 12-step group. But there are other services too that you need that is out there that you can receive to at least get you started. So if, if your loved one who is the identified patient goes to treatment and the family counselor calls you, even if it is just a weekend type of thing, or maybe four or five days of it, at least it gets you started. Mm -hmm. And hopefully what they're, because what I used to do is I used to create a continuing care plan for my family members just to make sure they knew what was available in the community for them. Mm -hmm. It's necessary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, they know like both of all of us actually have said, you know, the family also needs to feel that they are being supported Mm -hmm. because that's where the addict is returning to. And, you know, like you were saying, home life is one of the biggest, you know, reasons for relapse. Mm -hmm. They have to, the family needs to know how to handle the changes in that person. You know, we've talked before about um, homeostasis, you know, as one person starts to change, it's going to force change in somebody else. And that force can either be towards the healthy end or it can be towards the unhealthy end, but somebody's going to change somebody. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And hopefully the change can be balanced Mm -hmm. because as you get that push to, you know, start working on yourself, you learn how to communicate your needs, your wants, and your Mm -hmm. desires. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for you to become more vocal because at that, at the point where I'm assuming your, the addict has gone to rehab, you have probably been tricked into not talking, not communicating, being dishonest. Like I said, that mirror, being dishonest, being in denial, isolating. So you don't have any support because you don't even tell your family probably the truth. Mm-hmm. Just lying. Mm-hmm. To save face. You trying to. 
I have a, a individual, I have two individuals going through something similar to that right now in therapy. So it's um, unfolding exactly how we're describing. <laughs> and unfortunately, I have to just sit back, be part of the, the person's support that is willing to listen until they hit their rock bottom. Because the same way addicts hit their rock bottoms, enablers and family members hit their rock bottom as well. Mm-hmm. And um, rock bottom for the family is the place where you can no longer take them crossing your boundaries anymore. But then now it comes out in anger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or brokenness. Mm-hmm. Which still looks like anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and the thing is, the worst place for a family member to be and try to communicate those emotions is mm-hmm. in anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I typically try to do is get my family members to go backward to yes. identify what the primary emotions. To, and because I tell them, it's, I, I believe you. I believe you're angry now. Well, honestly, I, I take it higher than that. I, I put pissed off. Rage. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I believe that 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 anger is there, but where did it start? And cause that's where we can start the healing because we mm-hmm. can identify the primary emotion, which is the emotions that's under the anger. And we can begin to deal with like, well, when did you start noticing that you were hurt? Mm-hmm. When did you start noticing that this person was at, I'll say erratic behavior. Mm-hmm. Reverse engineer. Yeah. Right. I talk with my clients when we do speak about secondary kind of, you know, anger being a secondary emotion. I, you know, and we talk about trying to identify the more accurate version. And I usually do this with couples, but it makes sense for, you Mm -hmm. know, addiction as well. Is that if you don't identify and tell the person that has hurt you what the real feeling is, they're only going to address anger which is going to make you even more angry because that's not the real feeling that you're feeling. If you're feeling disappointment or you're feeling rejection or you're feeling abandonment that has morphed over time into anger and they keep saying, well, I, I apologize for this or I did this and they keep trying to hit the angry feeling Mm -hmm. you're, it's just going to bubble over into this even bigger issue because you got all these other emotions that are still just sitting there being unaddressed. Right. And being passive anger is not healthy either. Mm-mm. No. Effective communication is required. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Because I've noticed that, that the passive anger and aggressive anger is definitely, when I say aggressive, mean, meaning verbally attacking, sometimes physically attacking, mm-hmm. depending on that rage. But those are two areas where I have seen a and heard a lot of family members operating in mm-hmm. and, and both of those are manipulation as well. Yeah. Because you're not getting your way. So you're acting out and in, instead of making a different choice at the, and that's why I said earlier, the addict is the stronger of the two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they have transferred all that to you and now you got to deal with it. They yeah. out here living their best life still chilling and you have to think about the things that they've learned if especially if they're an addict that um is in a circle of other people with addiction yeah you know the things that they've learned from other addicts Mm -hmm. on how to maneuver and move whereas you the family you are likely not speaking to other people that Mm -hmm. have 
um, family members that have addiction because addiction is a very secretive thing. Yeah. And remember, you've been trained not to either because anytime you did try to talk to someone about it, the addict was like, don't be telling nobody my business. Mm-hmm. Don't, why you got to go out there? and t-? So now mm-hmm. that was them setting their boundary and you respected it. Yep. But the reality is that's your business too. Exactly. So, you know, not that we need to fully like touch on this, but I also wanted us to talk about um, adult children of addicts. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> um, we all have experience mm-hmm. <laughs> with that. Yeah. Lots of clients. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of where to start with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of the adult children of addicts that I have, they tend to have, so it's a lot of different symptoms you can have, mm-hmm. but they tend to have some of the same few like main ones. Mm-hmm. One of them is being loyal mm-hmm. when the per- when a situation or person or whatever does yeah. not deserve it, mm-hmm. but they remain loyal. And part of that is because for some, and not, this is just one area. There's a lot of them for some, they became the fixer in their family when yep. they were children mm-hmm. because of the addiction. Yep. And so because they became the fixer, they have now taken on this idea of being able to fix everybody being nurturing and being yeah. a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. They become the rescuer. Yes. Yep. Bad boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then some, and by the time I see them, some of them probably have recognized this one that they lie for no reason. Mm-hmm. Lie when the truth to do. Yep. Well, you've had to lie for the addict. There you go. You've either had, go they're ahead. not drunk. Or, you know, fixing them up, wiping their face, you know, cleaning them up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, waking them up for work. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to get in trouble either. That too. You know? Oh, yeah. And they are not sure of what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing that I found, and this is not necessarily a symptom, but the other thing that I found, too, is that they are typically upset with the other parent not the addict the non-addict yes i agree with that Mm -hmm. and you could have done more you could have done more why didn't you leave what about me i was just thinking that why didn't you protect me yeah yes and it's not until i have to i have to point those um i have to point those things out of why they're upset with the non-addict mm-hmm. and why they've transferred. Sorry. Why are they rescuing the addict? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's that triangle, the victim, the rescuer and the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And they have now, obviously because they're an adult, they have now inserted themselves in that triangle. Yeah. And so a lot of them can't, well, I don't want to say they can't. They don't recognize it because they've been doing it s- since they were children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that ends up bleeding over into their relationships because you're just perpetuating the cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, well, partially like we've talked about before, you try to work out your demons in your relationships. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, you try to fix the addict or the history that you've had in the addict with the addict in your romantic relationship. Yep. And then you problems get caused there because that's not the person that can fix it. Or that's not the person mm-hmm. that, you, you know, can actually address whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're feeling. Yeah. When I have people, and this is not just for um, adult children of addicts, but anybody who has stuck moments, which we all do technically um, from childhood and adolescence, I have them do this exercise where um, the person that I'm currently counseling, their adult self writes a letter to their child self. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's probably one of the, the hardest things that they have to do because you have to be you have to go back to what you felt as that kid and support them and build them up and have forgiveness and all those sorts of things. And once we like process that letter, go through that letter, I then have the kid mm. write a letter to the adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done that. That half. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's very cathartic, but it normally takes, <laughs> Well, it takes time. my clients yeah. about three months or I something like, like that because they'd be like nah I'm good right. I don't want to do that and they don't write the letter well I'm like well you really don't have a choice right now mm-hmm. we going through therapy what is <laughs> you, what are you <laughs> talking mm-hmm. so we just going to look at each other I'll look at you mm-hmm. it's going to be an expensive look <laughs> and see I do a timeline and because a lot of them can't mm-hmm. see why they do act the way like a lot of them don't know what normal behavior is mm-hmm. uh-uh. they grew up in dysfunction uh-huh and so i have to go back, like i tell them to start with their first memory not at five at their first memory if they have any before five mm-hmm. and then i begin we begin to talk about their life yeah and we be okay see that's why you don't communicate right here because you couldn't communicate you know so we point mm-hmm. those things out mm-hmm yeah it's a process, y'all. It is it is layered. It's an onion. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah. And just for you all, some that may want to know some more symptoms of an adult child of an alcoholic. That is. That's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was some one of them is uh, they have a difficult time having fun. Yep. Because they're serious all the time. Mm-hmm. They had to be. They mm-hmm. had to grow up. They Survival were, mode. Mm hmm. They were little adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if y'all remember this. Uh, maybe it was in the first session where I talked about you have three levels of living, surviving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking uh, that. Uh, thriving, mm-hmm. uh, living and thriving. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that they stay in surviving until they are aware that that's not how you should be living. Mm-hmm. And they judge themselves without mm-hmm. mercy. That's kind of goes in with what you just said. Yeah. You know, uh, they take themselves very seriously. Mm-hmm. They, of course, they had they they had to. They again were little adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, and we just talked about this one. They constantly seek approval and affirmation. Yes. Which is how they get into them bad relationships. There you go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> just I be like, out. I know. I have like three clients in my head right now. Just like. Oh my it's like let me help you (laughs) i think we all probably got that and more because yeah addiction is is widespread even though people don't really 
feel like it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the thing is, sometimes uh, parents tend to think that their children aren't being affected mm-hmm. by the addiction that's in the house because they're younger. Or they mm-hmm. don't see or the they don't, use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing that I can definitely say about children is they are observant. Mm-hmm. They can tell what kind of mood is about to be in the yes. house by the way you put the key in the door. Yeah. I think people forget they're sponges, they're sponges and kids are technically how we should be throughout our life. But it's before all the bad stuff happens and we have up all these walls and we're not functioning correctly. Children are the way we are supposed to look at the world. So a common saying that I always heard was kids are great observers and poor interpreters. Mm-hmm. So they observe everything, but oh, the yeah. understanding is not there. And they're like, well, I just need to help because that's what you would do as a kid. Mm-hmm. If you see somebody hurting or something wrong, you're like, let me go help. Unless, you know, you got some some issues. Maybe you got reactive attachment disorder or something <laughs> that then you probably gonna hurt somebody. But that's that's another episode. Or not be interested. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I think. That is one of the struggles when you are trying to overcome being that little kid in your adult life is that you're you're still stuck there yeah. and you still think it happened the way you observed it, but it really isn't. Uh, go ahead. So something, I don't know if it was going to be in your list or not, but, and again, this is not something I've ever really specifically talked about with addiction, but it does fit is a being emotionally stunted and Ooh, stuck yes. at a certain age. So, you know, in my mind, growing up with, um, you know, a parent that has an addiction issue until you can get older and get some, um, you know, therapy and work through some of these issues, you can be emotionally stuck at mm-hmm. a certain age. Yes. You know, you can be you process emotionally like a child yep. or you pr- process emotionally like uh, a teenager, very impulsive, self-centered, things like that. But until you start to really work on yourself, you will stay living and viewing the world through those eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord. Mm. <laughs> I had a client pop in my head just now. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> I've had a couple of them. It's like, look, you're, you're basically a perpetual 15 year old. Yeah. Because you know, well, this particular client, their parent, um, you know, committed suicide, but mm. they did have addiction problems. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, you're a perpetual 15 year old. Mm-hmm. You grew in body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to say that you're an adult because you have the age mm-hmm. of an adult. But however, the way you view the world and the way you move in this world is very childlike. Yeah. Chronological and maturity are two different things. Yeah. Um, I often have to say, do you realize you're no longer in that war zone? Like, do you realize that's mm-hmm. that's not where you are anymore? You don't have to live like that. It's it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to figure out what you want. You know, and yeah. a, a lot of times they have no idea what they want because they have been in protector mode or survival mode or whatever. And they mm-hmm. don't know what normal is. No. So they don't how if you don't know what normal is. Or healthy. Or, right. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or he- what healthy is, you won't, how can you strive for that? Yeah. You can't. You, you have you to wouldn't have even some, know what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. you have to have some outside perspective. You know, you have to have somebody 
that has shown or told you that it can be a different way. Yeah. Mentorship can be a beautiful thing. If you can find somebody, you know, that's much healthier Mm because I live under the the idea that we all got a little bit of something, but if you know, if you can find somebody (laughs) that's a healthier version, you know, mentorship can be a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, intern. So, you know, if you or a family member is struggling with addiction or any type of um, substance abuse, please reach out to your local mental health professional. You can use resources like Psychology Today or Google is always going to be your friend. You can, you know, do a simple Google search for uh, mental health providers in my area or substance abuse providers in my area and uh, find somebody that can assist you, um, you know, in that journey. Must be this volume control. So, okay, interns, process your notes. Be sure to catch us next session and find us on all major platforms at The Recycled Podcast. If you're a new intern, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are shifting and reshaping our psyche through healing conversations and connections, one discussion at a time.